Good morning. It is good to be together with all of you again here this morning. When we began this little series several weeks ago about God's promises to prominent Old Testament characters, I was kind of hoping that I would get the opportunity to speak to you about Joshua. Joshua has always been one of the characters in the Old Testament that I felt like I could somewhat relate to. I mean, obviously at a totally different level, uh, but there's a few things about Joshua that kind of resonate with me and with who I am and with my leadership journey. For one, it seems as though Joshua was kind of railroaded into his leadership role. You don't really get the impression that Joshua was all that keen about pursuing, uh, you know, being a leader. Secondly, after he becomes a leader or even in the process of becoming a leader, you get the impression that Joshua was the kind of guy that needed lots of reassurance from God. I can pretty much uh, identify with Again, that resonates with me. And then as he begins to lead, it seems as though Joshua is the kind of leader where he kind of wavers between being this really confident leader uh, and then on the flip side, kind of being almost a little bit fragile where he, he really, really needs a lot of assurance from God. And, and I would say, again, that, that kind of resonates with me, that that's kind of how I have often felt. I know that I've often come across, uh, you know, as a very confident, uh, confident leader, knowing what I wanted and knowing how I wanted to get there. And, and honestly, though, I, I am really the kind of leader that needs lots of assurance. And uh, I've needed a lot of assurance from God. And uh, truth be told, I have also needed a lot of assurance from you people. Uh, I, I'm not always as confident as I might appear. And I think maybe that's a little bit how Joshua often felt too. And you might be sitting there and thinking, well, good, you know, good on you for telling us now after 22 years. And um, well, yes, I guess I'm kind of sorry. Uh, but actually, it's kind of interesting because it is exactly this week when it is 22 years ago since we made our move to Rosenort as a family and uh, since I began my pastoring journey uh, here in the Pleasant Valley Church and so I it really is also a very appropriate time for me for us as a family I think for me and Pearl together to say a huge thank you to you as a church uh, for how you have blessed us and, uh, and encouraged us and done this this church journey together with us uh, in the past 22 years. We really, really could not imagine um, any better way for us to have done the last 22 years than together with you here uh, at the Pleasant Valley Church. And so thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for what you have done and what you have meant to us as a family in these past 22 years. So I get to talk to you a little bit about Joshua. By the way, did you know uh, that the word or the name Joshua is actually the Hebrew word for Jesus. And so in a sense, Joshua and Jesus had the same name. Uh, I kind of knew that before I went into this last week, but it became more real to me again as I was studying this past week about Joshua. And the one big similarity that kind of jumps out as you begin to think a little bit about Jesus and Joshua is that uh, just like in the Old Testament, Joshua was the one 
who physically leads God's people out of the promised land, uh, or out of the wilderness, I should say, and into the promised land, physically, Joshua does that in the Old Testament, in the same way Jesus becomes the one who spiritually leads God's children out of the wilderness and into the promised land. It's kind of a cool allegorical story. I think that's the right word. And, um, and it, it presents or it teaches uh, an amazing spiritual truth. This really was Joshua's main role. Uh, he takes over the, the lead role for God's children or the Israelites from Moses. And, and after taking over this, this leadership role, God gives him this, this huge task of leading the Israelites into the land of Canaan, which is often also referred to as the promised land, and, and militarily, you know, taking over this huge area and, and city after city and area after area. And, and Joshua has this huge task or is given this huge task by God to, to lead the people uh, in this conquest of the land of Canaan, and you can read all about that in the Bible uh, book called Joshua. Probably the most dramatic story of one of these military victories is the story of the fall of Jericho, uh, one of the cities that needed to be captured, and you cannot really speak about uh, Jericho and Joshua without, you know, that famous kid's song beginning to ring in your ears, you know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, something like that. Um, by the way, when I preached here uh, last, two weeks ago, apparently I did make a little bit of a name for myself when it came to my singing. And, uh, and I didn't really want to let all of you down. And so, yeah, sorry. Uh, in case you mostly tuned in today in order to hear me sing again, um, I, I don't want to let you down. And so there's this really cool song about Joshua that actually happened long before Joshua became the actual leader of Israel, 40 years earlier actually, when Joshua together with 11 other men were sent into the promised land to do some spying and they came back and there's this song written about Joshua and these 11 men and here we go, I'm going to do this song for you here this morning. So this is, this is how it goes. Uh, 12 men went to spy on Cain and 10 were bad and 2 were good. What did they see when they spied on Cain? And ten were bad, and two were good. Some saw the giants great and tall. Some saw the grapes in clusters fall. Some saw that God was in it all. Ten were bad, and two were good. There you go. How's that? I guess it might be a little while before I really make a name for myself. But there were. There were twelve men that were sent out to spy the land. And when they came back, they were all agreed that this promised land was indeed an amazing place. Uh, the land was fertile and rich. Uh, the soil was good and there were all kinds of abundant crops that were growing. Uh, there were big cities and towns and the people were prosperous and it was just really a beautiful place. Everything looked really, really good. But that's kind of where their agreement ended. Ten of them said, the problem is, 
the people are also very, very powerful. And there really is no way in the world that we are going to be able to move into there and take over that whole area. And they spread the word among all the Israelites uh, that we cannot do it. And generally kind of gloom and doom settled over all the people and the people kind of bought into this negative mentality. We can't do it. Despite the fact that there were two of the 12 men, one of whom was Joshua, there were two of those 12 men that were trying to get the people to believe that God was going to be with them and God was going to be helping them and nothing was impossible with God. But their voice was too small and the people would rather go with the gloom and doom. We can't do it, naysayers. And so uh, at the direction of God, they spent the next 40 years kind of wandering around in the wilderness before they were actually able to move into the promised land. And it was at that, that same Joshua that, that, that was trying to encourage the people to believe that God can help us do it. 40 years earlier, he is now being commissioned by God to become their new leader, to become the leader that is going to lead them as a group of people into the promised land and take over this promised land that they've been hearing about for centuries. The story begins in Deuteronomy chapter 31. And the next several chapters here are the story of the leadership mantle being passed from Moses to Joshua. And in this process, God makes several very significant promises to Joshua. And in each case, the promise, I'm going to say it like this, the promise is connected to a common human condition. A human condition that Joshua suffered from, but also a human condition that is very common to all of humanity. And so the first human condition here is fear of the unknown. Fear of what lies ahead. I think most of us have said it and maybe heard it more in the past few weeks than ever before, you know, who knows where this is all going? Who knows what will all happen yet? Nobody has any idea of what is going on. It will be interesting to see where this all goes. And so there's these huge unknowns. But let's also remember that these unknowns do not only pertain to the pandemic that our world is facing right now. There are all kinds of unknowns. On a continuous basis, there's, there's many, many unknowns that we face in our lives on a daily basis that have nothing to do with the pandemic. Graduating students are looking forward and they're wondering, what, what's going to be happening next? Jobs, schooling, relationships, finances, markets, mutual funds, interest rates, economy, health, sports, vehicles, lots of unknowns in our lives. And it's a natural tendency to fear what we do not know. It's a natural tendency to experience fear when we don't know exactly how things are going to turn out or how they are going to play out. And so here's Joshua. He's being commissioned by God to be the leader of a few million people. And he is to rally the troops and give them direction 
as they move into enemy territory and then to keep them united as they begin taking over this new land and then to keep them satisfied as he divides this new land up between all the different people groups. And remember, his last experience with this very same group of people and trying to convince them that with God's help they were going to be okay, that didn't turn out so well. The people turned against him. And now here he is, and God is commissioning him to be the new leader of this group of people that are going to move into this new land and accomplish this amazing feat of conquering this new territory. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 7 to 8. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. Here's the line that I want you to remember. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. First promise. In the face of the fear of the unknown, God says, I will go before you. Those of you that heard the Easter Sunday morning message from our conference pastor, Leighton Friesen, you heard him use that phrase often. God goes before you. When I think about that, uh, I really wish that I could fully grasp that. God has already been there. God knows. He walks in front of you. In our little Zoom group discussion afterwards on that Easter Sunday morning, I shared how this was a, a bit of a pivotal truth for me. You know, even in this, this personal leadership uh, thing that I talked to you about or mentioned to you earlier at the beginning of my message. See, all my life, I had people tell me, Darren, you should become a preacher. You should go to Bible school. You should be a leader. You shouldn't just be a farmer. You should become a pastor. And it always felt like I was being pushed. And honestly, Pearl will vouch for this. When I feel pushed, I rebel. One day, someone shared with me, and this was pivotal. They said to me, Darren, God is the good shepherd. And a shepherd always leads his sheep. He walks ahead of them. He goes before them and then asks them to follow him. There's a reason the Bible calls him a shepherd and not a herdsman. A herdsman chases his cows or his cattle. A shepherd walks in front of them and then invites them or calls them to follow him. God goes before you. And then this person said to me, something that was huge for me at the time, very pivotal again in my moving toward leadership journey. So if you feel pushed into something, it is not of God. Because God does not push. God leads and then invites us to follow. He goes ahead. And as you think about unknowns, whatever that might be in your life, 
It can be related to this pandemic, or it can be a thousand other unknowns. We have a human condition that is fearful in the face of unknowns. God says, I will go before you. There's a few other illustrations that come to my mind when I think about this going before us idea. I've done quite a bit of snowmobiling. I thought that chapter was kind of done in my life, but I got to go out again this past winter into northeastern Minnesota and do some snowmobiling. And, uh, and it just really, really was a lot of fun. It was in early March, just before all of this crazy stuff hit. When you get to snowmobile together with a few other guys that are, that are on the same page as you and that you've done a fair amount of snowmobiling together with, it becomes even more fun. It's pretty amazing, really, how the snowmobiling thing works when someone goes before you. Now, somebody, some of you might be able to identify uh, with this a little bit. Uh, those of you that can't, try and imagine this. You know, when I follow someone on the snowmobile trail, I keep watching them and I keep watching their taillights. Uh, suddenly, this guy's hand might go up and that means I better get on my brakes. Other times, I'm just watching his taillights and when he's in front of me, his taillight tells me all kinds of stuff about the trail and about what's coming up. So there's quite a bit of snow dust and it's a little bit difficult to see, but I can see his taillights, and I can see up above that there, there's trees directly in front of me. And so I'm not totally sure which direction this trail is going to curve, but I know it's going to curve. It's not going to keep going straight because I can see the trail uh, or the trees up in front of me. I'm watching his taillight. And when I begin to see his taillight moving left, I know, ah, the trail is curving to the left. Or when I see his taillight come on and it's just a couple of little blinks, I know that it's just going to be a gentle curve. But if I see his taillight come on and it stays on for quite a while, I know this is going to be a sharp curve and I better be slowing down already also. And so there's all kinds of things that I know because I am watching the one who is going before me. We used to have horses. Uh, when we had horses, we were blessed to have older and uh, well-trained horses one year, Pearl and Danae decided together that they were going to do something that was done back then. I'm not totally sure if it's still done or not, but it was called the Stampede Trail Ride. Lots of horses. I think there was probably 30 to 40 horses. And they did this long trail ride on the day before the Stampede, the Morris Stampede started in the middle of summer. And they did this long trail ride down the ditches and they made their way toward Albany. When they got to Albany, they were going to cross the Red River Bridge. Uh, from the east side of the Red River across to the, uh, the west side of the river. And as they prepare to do this, uh, the people that are leading this trail ride, their horses, they come to this, this expansion joint, and they have this crazy sense that something unique or strange is beyond this expansion joint uh, where the bridge actually starts as you're driving or walking, in this case, along the road. And the horses were going to refuse to step across that expansion joint. And one leader after another tried, and not a single horse was willing to step across that expansion joint. Finally, Danae, who has this old, experienced, well-trained horse, uh, asked if she could give it a shot. And everybody moved aside. Danae was the youngest person doing this trail ride, but probably had the best-trained horse. And she walked with this horse up to this expansion joint. She allowed the horse to sniff that expansion joined a little bit, and then she slowly coaxed her horse forward, and her horse stepped across that joint, 
and began to walk across the Red River Bridge. Do you know what all the other horses did? You're right. They all followed in line behind her. None of them had a problem with it anymore because somebody was walking before them. Somebody was facing the unknown in front of them, and all they needed to do was follow. I think that is a little bit of how it is when we walk behind or when we follow, when we understand this promise that God makes about how he is going to go before us into the unknown. And so I think that's God's first promise to Joshua here as he is commissioning Joshua for this huge task of leading the Israelites. God makes this promise, as you face the unknown, I will walk before you. And then the second promise is kind of in some ways a bit of a, a parallel promise. If the first one addresses humanity's fear of the unknown, I'm going to say the second promise addresses humanity's discouragement at the known, the things that we do know. I mean, let's be honest. It's a human condition to become discouraged in the face of brutal reality. If you were listening to Brett and Rihanna read those verses earlier, there were several of them that followed be strong and courageous with and do not be discouraged. It's very, very human. It's human to become discouraged when we look at reality. Way, way back, when I was still in the dairy farming world, I would often communicate with the milk truck driver that came to our farm to pick up the milk. And he was pretty blunt and honest with me sometimes about how life was going for him and his family. And at that point, he had a troubled teenage daughter in their house. And one day he shared with me that he had found a note that his teenage daughter had written. And the note said this, excuse the language, life is a bitch and then you die. Reality is often not that pretty. And if you are willing to take a good, honest look, it's the reason why some people choose to put their head in the sand and refuse to look look at or admit to what is really going on around them. I don't want to know about reality. Because if I do, and if I take a good, honest look at it, then there's enough reason there to become very, very discouraged. God understands that. And God makes a promise to Joshua in the face of that temptation to be discouraged about what we do know. In, in Deuteronomy here, chapter 31, verse 14, there's kind of an interesting little section here. Listen to what it says. The Lord said to Moses, now the day of your death is near. Moses, you're about to pass away. Call Joshua and present yourselves together at the tent of meeting where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. And the Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your ancestors. You're going to die soon. And these people, listen to this, 
will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them. And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all their wickedness in turning to other gods. <laughs> this is what Joshua hears. Joshua, you're going to be the new leader. And God is telling him, or God is about to commission him to lead this group of people. And God hears, or Joshua hears God say, basically, Joshua, you need to understand, things are going to go really, really badly. Things are going to go really bad with this group of people that I am asking you to lead. <laughs> Quite the encouragement, isn't it? I mean, I'm trying to imagine how that would have felt. I told you it's 22 years next week since we began to do the pastoring journey here at Pleasant Valley. I I'm wondering how that would have felt when we were being commissioned to be the pastor couple of this church family, imagining God telling me, so, so Darren, I, I want you to lead this church, and, and here's how I want you to do it. But you need to know that the people are not going to listen to you. They're going to turn their backs on you and on everything that you try to lead them towards. Here are the keys. Have a good time. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I would have turned and run. Well, that's the kind of news that Joshua gets here. Except that at the end of this little reality speech, here's what God says to Joshua in verse 23. So, be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath. And I myself will be with you. Here's reality. Things are not going to go that smoothly. But Joshua, despite that, you are to be strong and courageous because I will be with you. The reason you move forward is not because you are guaranteed that everything will work out well. And reality is going to be all good. The reason you move forward is because God is with you, regardless of reality. I think there's something that needs to be, something in that category that needs to be reestablished for us during a time like this. Much of our optimism about life is based on, typically, is based on the fact that things are going to be good again. Really? Is that really what makes it worth keeping on going? Is that what makes it worth to keep pushing and doing the right thing because somewhere on the other side, things will be good again? Is that what keeps me going? Or do we keep going because God is with me? This promise happens several times in these next few chapters here. Jump over a few pages in your Bible to Joshua chapter 1, and you will read it several more times. Check chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. What's the human condition? Discouraged because of reality. Discouraged because of the known, of what we do know. You look around at the situation the world is in. You look around and you see nothing but trouble and hardship. 
Maybe you look at your own life circumstances and you don't see a lot of reason for optimism. Reality is not that great. God says, tough reality is not enough reason to throw in the towel. Because it is not actually a great reality that gives reason to be optimistic. It is the promise that God will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. It is that promise which gives us reason to be optimistic and to move forward. And then God speaks to another human condition, third and last one. And again, it follows with a correlating promise. You're going to find it in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. Joshua 1, verse 5, and you're going to read this. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. What is the human condition that I'm referring to or that I see here? What about all the things that are against me? What about all my enemies? Everything that I have to fight against? What about the weather? Thinking of probably the biggest enemy that often faces farmers. Thinking of you guys, actually, as you head into this next season, seeding season, and then spraying, and then growing, and then harvesting. It's an exciting time. But once again, a time to face your enemies. What will the prices do? What kind of big repairs are we going to have this year that we have not anticipated? What will the weather be like? What about disease? What about my workers? Are they going to cost me a ton of money this year? What about worms or grasshoppers? And on and on and on. And not just farmers, obviously. Not just farmers that face enemies in life but kind of, in a way, a little bit illustrative for all the rest of us. See, when Adam was told that he was going to have to fight against thorns and thistles for the rest of his life, it was talking about a lot more than the simple, physical thorn and thistle plants that we endlessly wage war against. God was speaking about all the thorns and all the thistles, all the enemies that we were going to have to continue to face in our lives. What about my health? What about the surgery that's coming up? What about our mortgage? What about those credit card debts? What about the dilapidating vehicle that we're driving? What about our kids and their schooling and their futures and our parents who seem to need more and more attention? Not sure how all of that is going to work out. And my job is on the line. And on and on and on. And then you die. Speak about enemies. Again, kind of illustrative, really. We don't have time to focus on this now. But really, all of our lives we spend fighting against the enemy of the principle of death. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. What did God say to Joshua? Here in chapter 1, verse 5. No one will be able to stand up against you. Incredible promise. 
in the face of us standing up to our enemies. And as you read through the Bible, there's many different promises in the Bible that connect to this Joshua promise. No temptation has overtaken you. God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, verse 33. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 4, verse 4. There's many others. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks about the armor of God. And in verse 16 it says, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What about all my enemies? No one will be able to stand up against you. Again, we've looked at some incredible promises that God makes to Joshua. In the past few weeks, we've seen many incredible promises that God makes to these prominent Old Testament characters. Promises that speak to the world that we find ourselves in right now. But promises that speak to much more than just the immediate issues that we are facing. Today, I want to encourage you, grab a hold of these promises. Grab a hold of them. In Psalm, there's one place where David says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I kind of envision that these promises that we're looking at in these Old Testament stories to these Old Testament characters, that these promises are intended to be exactly that, a lamp for our feet, a light for our path, something that's going to kind of illuminate life for us as we keep moving forward. First of all, through this pandemic stage of life, but then also all kinds of other things that we are and will continue to face as we move through life. I believe these are promises, these are truths that can encourage us, that can give direction as we keep going. Amen. I want to encourage you to follow the link to our Zoom meeting where we will take a few minutes again to speak to each other. Meet each other, speak to each other, encourage each other, and share with each other a little bit about how some of what we have looked at this morning speaks to the world that we each find ourselves in right now. See you in a minute.